What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to a podcast about New York sports. Sam, joined by Matt, as always. And we got a big show and a very, very uh, underwhelming show for both local sports, uh, both local football teams. Just absolutely abysmal product on both ends. Uh, Matt, I hope you're doing better than the Jets were last night. And I hope you're doing better than uh, however you, you felt watching that game last night. But how are we doing today? Doing all right. I think you and I both kind of last week uh, sort of had the read on this game. Uh, neither of us expected them to win this game. So that always helps when you when you go in and don't win. You know, I didn't have all my eggs in the basket of winning this game. Yeah, that, and it definitely was a tough one. Kind of just looking back on it now, uh, just I, I guess you could kind of say the I, I guess you could say the same thing for for the Jets and the Giants, um, the, the Giants more so, I mean, the whole storyline of what what happened with the Raiders uh, leading up to the game and kind of, you know, uh, Antonio Pierce taking over and that whole mess that happened over there. I guess, you know, if you're a Giant fan, again, Daniel Jones came back and then ultimately got hurt and now has a torn ACL and is done for the year. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit of that. Uh, definitely want to get into the Jets, uh, talk some Knicks because uh, the Knicks uh, with an, an impressive win against the the James Harden debut in the for the Los Angeles Clippers yesterday. Um, so definitely a lot to get into. But let's let's start with the Giants because I think that there this was the Daniel Jones injury and this game is going to be looked at. You know, in five maybe 10 years as like, you know, when we say we talk about the, the Jets and how, uh, yeah, you know, if the Jets could have just lost one more game, they could have got Trevor Lawrence. And we're going to think about that for years and years to come. I yeah. think that this Daniel Jones injury is going to be like the giant equivalent of that. Well, uh, let's, let's look at, at Daniel Jones. Cause right now it's really easy to say, well, then that's going to be it for Daniel Jones. He's going to be gone. But, I, I, you know, we all remember last March, they gave Daniel Jones a four-year contract uh, worth $160 million. So his cap hit for 2024 sits at $47.5 million. So if the Giants were to move on now, the dead money hit from Daniel Jones would be $69 million. I'm not saying that convinces the Giants to not draft a quarterback, but if this losing continues, you might find yourself in a position where – you're going to draft a quarterback and you're going to hang on to Daniel Jones just sort of because you have to, to kind of be the lame duck guy until you can move on. At least that's my read on it as we sit here today. So, so let me, let me, I have, I have my thoughts on that as well. And, and very, very similar thoughts, I guess, to you, but I kind of want to lay it out for you and I want to get your opinion on this. And before, let's, before we get into any X's and O's of any of the games or anything, let's, I, I want to talk Daniel Jones out for the year, right? So the Giants, again, like we like you just laid out, are going to have a huge decision to make. If if maybe no decision is the is the decision, maybe a franchise altering decision is the one. But just you know, before we really get into it, I, I want to lay out the the scape of the the scope of the league right now. So right now, uh, if you go at, per Tankathon, the the twenty twenty four draft order, there's about I think that there's three quarterbacks that will probably go within the top seven picks, let's just say the Caleb Williams, of course, um, the kid from North Carolina, and then you can fill in your, uh, a lot of people like some people like Bo Nix from Oregon. Some people like the, the kid from Washington, but for argument's sake, let's just say three quarterbacks go in the top five. All right. You, let me know. Let me know. Stop me if you don't follow. Oh, no, I'm with you. I mean, okay. I did hear from a bunch of tough guys on the internet that Caleb Williams is now undraftable because he happened to cry a little bit the other day. But, yeah, uh, we'll, definitely, uh, definitely a very highly debated topic on social media <laughs> yeah. now, for sure. But yeah. aside, let's, I don't even want to think about the the, the individual guys because, again, we're admittedly both not college yeah, football. Yeah. That, that was more of a joke. I'm with you. I got you. So the first pick right now, let's just say the season ended today. The first pick right now is the Arizona Cardinals at one and eight. Now think about the Arizona Cardinals. They have Kyler Murray, who is most likely and probably the best case scenario for the Giants is going to play games this year. Uh, and if you want to look at the Cardinals kind of taking a step back, they trade Josh Dobbs. I think they don't trade Josh Dobbs if they're not confident that Kyler Murray can come to the field and play this year. Um, so I think all signs are going to point to that Kyler Murray will make at least one or two starts, maybe not. He might not play every single game for the Cardinals. You know, they might only start him. Uh, hopefully his health holds up 
for, I guess, again, the Giants' sake. But let's just say Kyler Murray's playing for his job, right? And Kyler Murray does well and plays for his job. The Cardinals could find themselves still in, a, you know, one of the top two to three picks. And if they like Kyler Murray and like what they see out of him, they might not be in the running for a quarterback. So that's that's team one. Team yeah. two would be the – so the Carolina Panthers traded their pick to the Chicago Bears. So the Bears actually, as of right now, hold the second and third pick. Now, the Bears, very much like the Cardinals, are in a very similar situation where Justin Fields hurt. You know, going into the season, they kind of tried to, I guess, had everyone sold that Justin Fields was going to be their franchise quarterback. I think the jury is still out on them. There's been some front office change and front office rift there in Chicago. They have the second and the third pick. If they if they trust Justin Fields and they really do think Justin Fields is the quarterback, they might not be in the running for a quarterback and they might be looking to move down. So that's the first two teams. And then again, the Chicago Bears, as of right now, have the third pick. So you're, you can imagine that for argument's sake, let's just say that one of the Cardinals and the Bears stick with their guy as in Justin Fields or Kyler Murray and don't want a quarterback. Correct. So that leads us to the fourth and fifth pick right now, which is ultimately going to be, I believe, the Caleb Williams bidding war, in my opinion. And to me, that the Giants have the fourth pick, Patriots have uh, the fifth pick, who will both definitely be in the running for a quarterback, I, I would imagine, right? So uh, to me, you know, this is laying out as the Giants can, the Giants can kind of be in that, you know, fourth, fifth, not, they can be in the top 10 picks, and they're going to still have to trade up to get to get one of those picks. Although you can find yourself in a scenario where if Tommy DeVito is starting the rest of the year for the Giants and you don't win another game, which also very possible, you might end up with the first pick without having to trade. And like if Kyler Murray comes back and plays well, maybe wins a game or two for the Cardinals and they fall out of the first pick or same thing with Justin Fields and the Bears fall out of the first pick. The problem is if you're a Giant fan, you need to root for two teams you need to root for actually three teams the cardinals the panthers and the bears if you're a giant fan no no more rooting for the giants those are the three teams you're rooting for because you have to presume that no daniel jones no tyrod taylor for at least the next three to four weeks uh you're you're a fan of of those teams and I, I agree think with your thinking there. I think that Arizona kind of gives me the impression that they're kind of already looking the other direction um, in terms of Kyler Murray. And sure, they they deal Josh Dobbs. And let's see what we got in Kyler Murray. And you can certainly cross your fingers, hope for the best. I think the situation for the Giants to really keep their eye on is the Chicago one. Because there was really a, a time last year where, like you said, we were all convinced that Justin Fields was going to be the answer. So even if you wind up in that fourth spot, or that five spot, and maybe Kyler Murray goes to another quarterback needy team to kind of get them out of the way, uh, they're going to be in a great spot to take a quarterback. I don't know that it's going to wind up being the Caleb Williams uh, sweepstakes down there, because like I said, I think there's a good chance that Arizona still goes quarterback. But no, you're right. If, you, if you're a Giants fan, you're 2-7 and seven and you're rooting for losses. Yeah, and and again, not only Caleb Williams is is not the – there. there's arguably two to three, Some some might even argue four, very desirable quarterbacks that will will go in the top 10. And, you know, maybe the Giants say, you know, we'll, we'll just roll the dice and, and we'll, we'll take whoever kind of falls to us at, at a, you know, a four or five pick. But I would, I would think that if you're the, if you're the Cardinals and you, you again, you are or Cardinals or the bears and you already have Kyler Murray, or you already have Justin Fields, you'll take a huge price tag from the Giants where like the Giants, let's say the Giants have the fourth pick, let's just say, the Giants give you the fourth pick and their next year first to get Caleb Williams. I think that kind of makes up your mind to stick with your, your Kyler Murray or Justin Fields just like that. Yeah, uh, I, I do think the larger scope of this, though, is let's just let's look at Daniel Jones and what he's dealt with and what he's been since he's been here. Again, I'm really not looking to apologize for Daniel Jones or say, you know, I really think he's still going to be the guy. Because, you know, as I said earlier, I'm expecting him to be here next year. And even if you draft a quarterback, I don't think that's a bad situation. I don't think that's a bad scenario. It's one Daniel Jones might not like, uh, but he's getting paid to be there. So since Daniel Jones has been, has been there, I mean, how many different systems, coaches, how many games did he play without Saquon Barkley? 
you know, how much time did he miss? You know, some of it, maybe you could even attribute to just a God awful offensive line. He's been playing with this entire time. So, I mean, let's really, if you're the giants, let's get our ducks in a row. If we're going to draft another quarterback here, because you can't just keep doing the same thing and expecting it to, to, to be fixed. You really don't have any weapons. You still don't have an offensive line. And how many years have we been saying that? And now I think coming off of a year where you really surprised everyone, we kind of maybe are starting to have questions about the coaching. Maybe not Dable, but, you know, certainly some. Because, look, you're two and seven. So I just think all of those things, if you're going to draft a Caleb Williams type and let him sit in the wings behind Daniel Jones for a little bit, let's make sure that we're not setting this guy up for failure once again. Because, again, I don't want to apologize for Daniel Jones. But they certainly didn't give him any help or, you know, they, they really didn't uh, they didn't give him the best chance to be what he could have been. Well, so that, so that leads me to, I guess, you know, again, and don't want to get into the college football debate of it all. But I think if you if you end up with a guy like Caleb Williams, who, you know, I, I'm going to liken it to Trevor Lawrence, who was a prodigy, guaranteed number one overall, is going to come in and instantly will we'll be able to hang in the NFL per se. You know, you could debate me on that all you want, whatever, but that seems to be where people are at with Caleb Williams. So if you find yourself in that scenario, I actually think the Giants can find themselves in a in somewhat of a favorable position. And, and again, you can do, you can have the debate on whether or not uh, Dable's a good coach and this is a good regime or whatever, that's fine. But think about it like this. If you are the Giants and Daniel Jones can't play until, let's just say, you know, halfway through the season next year, just for argument's sake, you know, you draft a quarterback, then essentially you're paying Daniel Jones contract for that quarterback. That's how I would look at it, at least. So in a way, you're not really losing money. The only money that you'd be really investing in your quarterback position would be the that rookie contract, which relatively is is not a crazy cap hit not nothing crazy salary wise there no it's not crazy but we do talk about like just how great of a position it is to be in when you don't yet have to pay your quarterback yeah and, you know well, that's a position the Giants would love to be in because if they could throw money at the offensive line and maybe just weapons in general I mean I think that could really be beneficial well I think now I'll pick your brain a little bit if Daniel Jones never didn't get hurt, and again, I think if they, he does, doesn't get hurt, and even if they do end up with one of the top picks, I think they still throw money at the offensive line. So what I'm trying to say is I'm not sure if they draft a quarterback versus not drafting a quarterback, that really makes any difference there. Oh, no, it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference in terms of drafting one. I'm just saying if you're the Giants and you're taking a quarterback, you got to regret a lot of that money that you're still going to be paying Daniel Jones because it would just oh, be sure. nice. It would be but nice to have that position almost vacant. I believe they have an out after two years, I believe. So I think after next year, they can get, there's an out in Daniel Jones contract where they don't have to, they don't have to commit to those final two years. I, I, believe. I think that makes sense. I think teams kind of caught themselves. You know, there was a, a couple of years there where teams just drafted quarterbacks and threw them on the field immediately. Cause that was just kind of the new wave. Cause we had, you know, guys like Andrew Luck, guys like Trevor Lawrence, and now teams just kind of, just kind of go that way. I think that if you have a guy sit behind Daniel Jones for a year, while maybe you solve some of your problems, I think that's a good route for the Giants. Well, I, I don't even think sitting behind. I think you could find yourself in a scenario where you you get – I mean, again, if you're drafting a quarterback in the top five, I, I think he doesn't sit behind anyone, right? And you can have well, – I guess so. It depends. If we're talking about a Caleb Williams, like you just said, where he's this, you know, NFL-ready sort of prodigy, then, yeah, I understand but so so I mean that's the that's kind of the, along the lines that I'm thinking right now where they're not the Giants aren't gonna I can't see the Giants drafting you know bypassing someone in the first round and then and then you know maybe taking a dart throw later and then again this Daniel Jones injuries it, it kind of adds to that and, and almost like they really don't have a quarterback right they don't they there's no other option there like if Tyrod Taylor was healthy and he was playing you know maybe they bring back Tyrod Taylor to to back up. Because uh, Daniel Jones isn't going to be ready, to be honest. It's probably going to take. It's a tr if it's a true torn ACL, he'll be out. You know, we're we're in November. Even you know nine months from now, what is that? Uh, he that's July. You know, with your car starting quarterback, you don't want to push that, especially if you draft one. So yeah, I think sometimes gonna, nine months ish. I mean, that that might even be best case scenario. Yeah, ex yeah, exactly. Best case scenario, nine months, and then again, a guy like Daniel Jones who. Again, if you don't need him to play quarterback, you can kind of put him on the back burner for a little bit. But 
I think, and then I guess the looming cloud over the head of the Giants is also going to be Saquon Barkley, which I, I was arguing this with some people yesterday. I think that drafting a quarterback and if let's again, let's just for argument's sake, let's just say they get Caleb or, um, uh, you know, any of the top three, four quarterbacks. If that's the case, what you, I think having Barkley, it's signing Barkley, especially at this this point in his career. And I think you can kind of find yourself in some sort of a I want to say like the best contract ever. But for for the terms of uh, maybe you, you get the out of Daniel Jones after next year save all of that money and then you're still having a quarterback on a rookie contract. I, I wouldn't hate, you know, kind of telling uh, Saquon Barkley, like, look, we'll give you whatever years you want. You know, we're obviously not going to overpay you if you want some crazy overpaid contract. Cause not for nothing, you got, you got hurt a shit ton this year already, but I think you could find yourself in a position where you can have your rookie quarterback sign Saquon to a very favorable contract that will ultimately help your team on the field. And the quarterback. Great. And I actually think the Giants may have an opportunity to tag him again this year. Yeah, well, that's – see, tagging gets interesting because I feel like Barkley, you know, again, he – you can disagree with this, but from Barkley's point of view, I don't think he's he would play under a tag. I just feel like you're every year is another year, you know, against you, and I just feel like you make a lot of money under the tag. I, I mean, I just feel like if you're a running back, it's unfortunate – you just kind of got to put your head down and grind, make as much money as you possibly can in whatever window you have. But if you're Barkley, um, but no, right? you guys like Saquon Barkley, that like things like that, uh, they're just they're necessities if you're going to try to bring a young quarterback along. Yeah, and and I guess for Barkley, you know, arguing for for him signing a you know a longer term deal with the team, you know, going into this season, sure. If you're Barkley, you got to understand that you know we just paid Daniel Jones, so we're not we're not throwing you know. $70 million into our backfield. That's just not going to happen. But if you're Daniel, if you're a safe on Barkley and you, they, you draft a quarterback second year of the Daniel Jones contract, which again is not a, is not a new contract. Your, your argument is then, all right, well, who are you giving the money to that? Like you, you could sign an offensive lineman, but you know, relative to skill positions and, and, and whatnot, and they still don't have a wide receiver. Maybe the giants throw their money at a, rather throw their money at a big wide receiver name uh, over Saquon Barkley. That, that's more of a philosophy question, I'd say. But if you're Barkley, I think, you know, if they they offer you the tag, you're, you're going to ask them, well, what's the reason now? Where are you throwing the money now? Last year, I get it. You threw the money at Daniel Jones. But why why am I not second second fiddle there? Yeah, no, 100%. So, Do you look I, back I, at the Daniel Jones signing and think it was maybe a little bit reckless of the Giants? Because, I, you know, everyone wants to say that they're – victims of their own success from last year because they did win a playoff game and they were a very formidable team. But I mean, since the giants got off to that seven and two start last season and I get it, they won a playoff game. They're four 12 and one, like no one had the read on this. So when I get asked that question, the, the, my answer is just, you know, I agree, but like, what did you want them to do? I don't know. That's the thing. Like they were there, the, the, the alternative, there really wasn't an. They kind of the bad thing about the contract is that they found themselves in a position where they there was really no other option other than signing him. That was the bad part, not necessarily the contract. That's I guess that's how I view it. Does yeah. that make sense? Like they they put themselves in that in that poor position, and and now you know we don't even I don't even really want to get into the X's and O's of this game because it, you kind of have to throw all this out the window because no, Daniel it was Jones, garbage. I think. Well, did, first of all, did you see that clip of uh, Devontae Adams at the college game the other night? And the ref uh, comes up to him and says, oh, nice to see you guys winning again. And then Devontae, I don't know if this is a shot at McDaniels or maybe a shot at Jimmy Garoppolo, but Devontae Adams kind of gave him a, no, 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 it's going to be better now. I, I didn't see that, but, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like you can you, me, you and I spoke about how frustrated he looked on the sidelines of uh, the, the final McDaniels game. Um and I don't want to say the final Jimmy Garoppolo game, but another thing too, just, just now that we're, we're kind of talking about Garoppolo and I guess other teams, there's, I, I would say there's going to be at least 10 different teams in the NFL that are going to either definitely be looking for a new quarterback, but there might be eight plus teams that have new quarterbacks next year. Like it's going to be a huge, totally different landscape. 
Yeah, I guess so. I mean, if you go if you go Arizona, Bears, Giants, let's say Patriots, maybe even the Rams. I mean, that's already that's already five out of the top six uh, on uh, you know in terms of the current draft order. Yeah, and, and I, but you could think like Minnesota is going to have a new quarterback most likely. Right. You're gonna you can think like uh, you know the Buccaneers like they might not be a bad team. It might not be in the top whatever. But what does Vegas teams, do about Jimmy Garoppolo? Exactly. You know, Russell Wilson, how does that scenario, how does that play out? Um, Jordan Love, do the, do the Packers trust Jordan? Do they like him enough? Are they bought into him enough? Yeah, that, that love fest, no pun intended, seems to be over. Although they yeah. do kind of, they do win some games. They, you know, they, they do, but that, but that's the thing. Like, I think you got, when you factor in, like, you know, the Giants, uh, again, it might end up in a bidding war with other teams for, for a, a top quarterback in the draft. Like, you're going to have to factor in some of these teams that, are, could come out of left field and just throw all their draft capital for the number one pick, like the Falcons, yes. let's say, like a team like with that. Again, they have Bijan Robinson. They have all the weapons that, you know, uh, could they be a team that just says, this is our guy and we're mortgaging our, our super future for it. Yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. So the giants might again, and I think the giants were smart in, in trading Leonard Williams and kind of just getting some more draft capital. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll see that pay off in, in terms of a potential bidding war for a pick. But, look, if you're the Giants, the goal is not to find yourself in a bidding war. Get the, get the number one pick. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. And just for the sake of our Giant fan friends who, you know, still endure every game, how about, you know, we get Matt Barkley in there or something. How about we get – because I think Tyron Taylor is still three weeks away. I mean, let's get someone – although Tommy DeVito may be the key to the tank, I mean, it's, it's not even football. Yeah, well, I, I think, I mean, talking X's and O's wise, I'm not sure if Barkley was 100% like ready for to get into this game per se. It doesn't mean moving forward. Yeah, I, I'd imagine that he would probably see some see some run uh, within the next couple of weeks. If not this week, then prob- probably the next. Um, but Giants open up 16 and a half point dogs against the Cowboys. Uh, just ugly, ugly, ugly. That that's just going to be one of those games that, uh, it, you know, it's over, kind of over before it starts. And I don't even feel like risk. I don't even feel, uh, you know, the slightest bit worried about me potentially eating crow there. No, I just I'm, I'll never understand how. Listen, you got off to a seven and two start last season. You improved marginally, but you improved, and now you're off to a two and seven start. It, it's it's crazy. Terrible. And, and and it's going to be, it's just going to be rough to watch, uh, especially I feel, I kind of feel bad for a guy like Barkley. That's, you know, he's going to be active and he's going to be the guy in this team that, you know, is going to hopefully be there when this team kind of starts to turn the corner, I guess giant fans would hope. And he's been there for, he's kind of the poster boy of this team now, and it's a bad team. And uh, you know, there, there's no, really no other way to put it. Um, Again, the Giants play the Cowboys uh, 4.30 on Sunday. Um, uh, you know, obviously for, for New York oh purposes and the show purposes, I will have to watch that game, but definitely won't be happy about it. Um, unhappy about, for sure, uh, was in attendance for and uh, dreadfully in attendance for uh, the New York Jets last night. Uh, it is Tuesday afternoon that we're recording this, Monday Night Football. Uh, Jets fall to 4-4. Four and four in a, uh, you know, no other way to put it than just ugly, uninspired, um, and kind of just part of me almost felt like not kind of ready for the, the moment. And they fall 27 to six. And realistically, the game ended on the first quarter punt return. Yeah, no, it did. I mean, if I slept through this game and then I woke up and just looked at the, the you know, the stat line of it and I said, oh, they, they sacked Herbert five times. They held him to 136 yards passing, no touchdown passes. Eckler, just 47 yards on the ground, albeit two touchdowns. I would have said, uh, oh, so the Jets the Jets won this game. Yeah, and honestly, the defense, like, so the 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 offense, I think, obviously was the, the biggest problem here. And, you know, you look at you look at this game and they put up 27 points, but seven of those are from a kick return or a punt return. And then another one was a fumble within, you know, the – where they end up uh, an offensive fumble that ends up bringing the Chargers all the way back to like inside the five yard line, so that's fourteen points. 
realistically, the defense, again, kind of held the, the, the offense to 13 points, which is amazing for, for a team that this defense is on the field 75% of the game. Yeah, they couldn't move the ball and the game. The Chargers couldn't move the ball and the game wasn't close. Yeah, it's, you know, talk about favorable positions. I mean, uh, I spoke earlier and I mentioned that Alan Lazard should have been cut at halftime. There was there was, I think, two straight drives where he had like he had a illegal shift where it was like he, he didn't get set. And he it was like. I couldn't even explain it in football terms, like watching the replay. He kind of just like he, he went in motion and then he just like like was moving his shoulders. Like, what are you doing? Just stand there. He, the, the play was not to him. It was any any sort of trickery. It was a straightforward right to left motion. He gets to the left and he just doesn't stop moving. And the play, I think, was a positive play. Uh, they get the penalty. You know, on the replay at the stadium, they show the replay of of pretty much all penalties. And I'm looking at this. I'm like, why did he just do that? Like it was it just made zero sense. And again, you can you said this morning and I guess a lot of people probably think that guys like him, Lazard, uh, sorry, Lazard and Cobb and guys like Dalvin Cook would be have totally different outlooks if they were if Rodgers was in there. And part of me agrees. But. That is that is just a bonehead move from that's a rookie move from a guy who's been in the league for a few years now. Yeah, well, to me, Randall Cobb is he is just uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, like support dog. That's why he's here. But Alan Lazard, there's another play where Zach Wilson throws a pretty nice ball, uh, you know, over by the sideline for a first down, and Alan Lazard seems to forget that he's six five. And, it, you know, it's a possession throw. It's supposed to be a possession catch, and he's staying low to the ground, trying to catch it in his belly. And, you know, before you know it, the Jets don't move the chains. They're punting again. I You know, I've given Alan Lazard a lot of praise just from watching him through the years and things that guys like Roger says about him where, you know, maybe he's not the flashiest receiver ever, but at least, you know, he gets down there, he, he does the dirty work. But, I mean, when you're, when you're getting penalized left and right, you're not helping anyone. I, I mean, speaking of penalties – this team is it was one of the most disciplined teams in the league. And now over the last couple of weeks, they're one of the most penalized teams in the league. So not only is your, you know, your quarterback not very good and your offensive line not very good, but now you're taking pre-snap penalties and your defense is taking crucial penalties too because everyone knows that the margin of error is razor thin. Yeah, and, and again, it's I have trouble kind of I don't want to say you're ripping the defense, but I have trouble criticizing the defense at all because you know, at the end of the day, it's the NFL. Well, that was, that was a criticism of the offense. I'm saying the defense is now taking crucial penalties because they know what the margin of error is and they have to make plays. Yeah, no, okay. Now now I follow. But, yeah, I mean, when when they're on the field for so long and they're they're all constantly in, you know, we were, I was at the game and I felt like every single possession, the Chargers had second and 15 and the Chargers had third and 12, every single possession. It was like, you know, they're, they're setting the offense up at the 40, at the 30, at the, you know, pretty favorable field position. And then you put up six points. Like, e- even the first drive at a halftime that they marched down the field, terrible. They can't – like, it's like – it's it's like a, they, they see they, – they feel like getting into the red zone is enough. Like, you know, you're there in the red zone. It's like, all right, we've secured three points. Let's, let's, let's not try and F this up. And that's the kind of – that's the kind of offense they play. And it makes no sense. And – I mean, I, I guess it makes sense because Zach Wilson is just is just not an NFL quarterback. But I, I mean, really, it it was just it's just so bad. And and they, again, another day that they just kind of they they got Brees Hall Brees Hall a whole bunch of touches, but this, and again, that was really not away from them per se until like the very end of the fourth quarter. I'd say, you know, you're you're seeing some ugly ugly football out of Zach Wilson. I mean, staring down Garrett Wilson. You know, there was even a couple that you, you won't see this on any sort of stat sheet or anything, but slants right down the middle that were were could have some of them were caught, some of them were overthrown. But these are balls that get receivers killed. And I, again, I watched the broadcast again this morning while I was just, uh, you know, because I, I was at the game, so I obviously didn't get to hear uh, Buck and Aikman. But Aikman made a point to rip into the Jets and Zach Wilson about, you know, he's not hitting layups. It's not that he's he's not hitting guys on these complicated routes. I think the first 
one of the first plays of the game was a basic out route to a wide open Tyler Conklin that he threw fucking into the first row. Yeah. And it was, it was just, it's just terrible to watch. And, and, you know, to see like, you know, we say this with the Yankees and obviously not going to compare the, the, where the Yankees are and where the jets are, but you know, it's like wasting a whole year of Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall. Like you, you see teams that, that have success with all these rookies and, you know, winning before you have to pay your guys is such a big thing. What a waste. Yeah, totally. You know, totally. So n- nothing good, but uh, I, I feel like Jets, the, the offense as a unit kind of goes into these games thinking they're going to win like the way that they've been winning with all these outliers and these turnovers, the Jets get a punt return for a touchdown. And when it kind of goes the other way, as soon as this ball kicks off last night, the Jets are lost. They don't know what to do. I mean, it, really, if you look at any of the Jet wins outside of the Denver win, they have three others. They all feel like miracles. Yeah, and they do. And I kind of looking back on it, like even even the 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 Giant game, right? Like the Giants handed them that game, and and an ugly, ugly game. And they they there was you know you take away if Graham Gano makes a field goal there and doesn't miss that. The, the Jets are now three and five. Yeah. Yeah. And then so, really, I mean, an unfortunate loss to a team that you're now tied with, who seems to be maybe trending upwards a bit. Um, you know, now you have the Chargers and Buffalo ahead of you. And I guess the, the goal for the Jets is just keep our heads above water. Hope our quarterback comes back sometime. Um, yeah, and, no, I mean, and, it's not good. I mean, the Jets are lucky to be facing a Raiders team, but this is kind of a, a hungrier Raiders team than you, know, you maybe would have liked to see him a few weeks ago. Yeah, and I, I think that for for one, I was again, I, I actually picked the Giants to win this game. Again, Daniel Jones gets hurt, kind of throws that all out the window. I, you know, I didn't even kind of care about picking the Giants anymore after that. But I, I the Raiders, I think, will definitely win this game against the Jets if the Jets keep playing like if the Jets offense has shows no semblance again. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, they should. Yeah. Uh, not to do the uh you know, not to go the WFAN route here. But is there at any point, do you think the Jets look to make a switch? I mean, really, your only your other options are we're talking like Trevor Simi. I mean, I feel like they won't do that until they're kind of really, really out of it. Like the the maybe mathematically, or I think what today was today was what seventeen percent chance they woke up with, and if they won, it would have been like sixty three percent chance to make playoffs. Nice. I think if you lose to the Raiders, that probably goes down to that's another team that is again, obviously the Raiders most likely won't be competing for any sort of playoff spot, but that's another team that's in the AFC that is is above you, and that that kind of puts another nail in your coffin. And I maybe if they lose to the Raiders, that's the day. Yeah, especially if it looks anything like this did. Yeah, but what was the crowd like there? Like, as soon as it became like painfully obvious that the offense that this was the kind of night they were going to have, what was what was the feeling in the building like? So I'll I'll say this: I think that every time I've been to the uh, outside of Week One, obviously the Rogers injury or and whatnot kind of threw throws this askew. But I I feel like the when I walked in, it, it seemed like the, everyone always seems like on edge and like everyone always seems like very like, all right, like, yeah, Jets, uh, you know, uh, half the half the team I'm excited for, half the team I'm not. And I think it's uh, the Jets almost do that to themselves, obviously by their play. But when they announced the team, they only announced defense. And this, you know, since week one, when they announced the offense, with Rogers, oh, and the punter, don't forget about the punter. That That was pretty cool. But then, you know, even like, even like when they they sing the national anthem, actually, it was I thought it was kind of very embarrassing yesterday that the Jets. I guess when they don't have like a, some sort of celebrity singing the national anthem or something, and they have just you know just like a normal like color guard or whatever it is, they say on the the loudspeaker like, "Oh, we we want to stick to our tradition or whatever and sing the national anthem together." No one was singing the national anthem. <laughs> like nice. it was, and and like I was looking around, and I was like. So, so it was so quiet that and no one was singing it so much that the woman that was like on the screen singing it with like the microphone, she was in some sort of color guard or ROTC something. She started and you heard her voice throughout the, the loudspeaker and then it kind of faded off. And I guess they, the hope was that they start hearing the crowd, no crowd. And then towards the very, very end, they must've kicked up her volume again to kind of make it seem like people were singing 
it was just ugly. And like, you know, I think that people are just, they go to the stadium now and they go to jet games and it's like, you don't really know what you're going to get because last night there, there was nothing to cheer for. No, not at all. You know what I would really love just in terms of Jets national anthems? They should, they should call up Garrett Cole, get him over to sing the anthem. Renowned anthem singer, him Renowned and uh, good. Uh, maybe Susan Waldman as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, just really not nothing good other than, you know, the defense is good. Um, defense is great uh, you know a lot of the play calling last night was made zero sense to me uh you know h- how you can run it with zach wilson second and six should be a run every single time every yeah. single time and you know because you pass the ball you, that's a 30 percent play opposed yeah. to uh, you know you're taking a 30 percent chance to get a first down versus uh you know a 40 percent chance to get a first down with a run let's be honest and and then you know a hundred percent chance or I'd say eighty percent chance to gain some positive yardage and again put yourself in a favorable position. So just a lot of problems with the play calling I had last night. Um, yeah, and I I can I kind of don't even want to talk about this game anymore. To be no, honest, no, me neither. It'd be nice to have Josh Dobbs here. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, like we said, this is the Chargers. It was a team you really would have liked to beat, especially just the way things stand right now. I think you and I were level headed enough and fair enough to not call this. You know a must win for the Jets because they're sitting at 500 right now. But my initial feeling right now, my gut feeling right now is if, if you're going to be a playoff team and we'll get to this game later in the week, uh, I'm ready to slap must win on this Raiders game. Well, I'm kind of over the whole playoff thing to be brutally honest. Well, I don't... I, but why though? Because like there is a world where they could win their next two games. And then what? I don't know. You, you wait and you hope that, uh, you know, your Wolverine quarterback comes back, I guess. I see. I, I maybe that's where I guess I disagree. I just yeah. Don't I, buy I, I it. know. I know it's a long shot, but he, he seems like he's kind of hell bent on December. So we'll see. Well, I mean, we'll see. But they, you know, they they might be very much out then. Very very much out then. So uh, I, at that point, I just it's frustrating to less. waste another year of this defense, and they look even better than they did last year. Yeah, and it's they look they look unbelievable. And like you said, Justin Herbert you're going to look at this game and say, you know, they put up 27 points. A lot of this was self-inflicted. And Robert Sala made a point of that after the game to kind of say that this was all, most of this was self-inflicted this week. So just, just nothing good. Um, anything else on, on either of these teams? I definitely want to talk about the Knicks. Uh, they had, a, they had a big win. And then uh, the Mets made a huge move, uh, kind of a, a stunner to, I guess, you and I, and I, a lot of Met fans. Um, and then how Steinbrenner spoke this morning, kind of had some interesting thoughts about the Yankees. But before we move on to any of that, anything else in the Giants or the Jets? No, I'm all good. It just actually, why don't we get into the baseball? Because honestly, this this football season feels like the baseball season. I mean, the, the yeah. Jets are the Yankees, the Giants are the Mets. Well, so the, the Giants very much could be the Mets. And whether you think Dable is, is good or not, he still has a job and may not have a job next year, much like Buck Showalter didn't have a job or – I guess was relieved of his duties. Um, and now here comes the next Met manager in Carlos Mendoza, former Yankee bench coach. Um, and the, let's be honest, the B option for a lot of Met fans. Yeah. So during his time as the bench coach there and during all those times where, you know, it sort of felt like, okay, well, this is definitely going to be uh, the nail in the coffin for and Boone. Was there ever talk of maybe this guy um, stepping up and taking the job at some point, even just, you know, media or fans alike, anything like that? I, I wouldn't say that, but I, I think that he's just always been very well regarded as just like a, a great guy to have around sort of thing. You know, he, you got to think with he was the he, I believe he was the AAA coach for the Baby Bombers and, and all them. So when you got to think when they come up uh, and they're they're all speaking highly of him and they're they're saying like, you know, they're he knows these guys like personality wise. I think that. If, if there were ever to come to, you know, Aaron Boone getting fired, he would definitely be next in line for – the Yankees would most definitely interview him. And I think that, you know, I, I'm excited to see him. As a Yankee fan, I'm excited to see him as as the Met manager. But uh, I think a lot of Met fans are, were not too thrilled with this hire. Yeah, and that, you know, I'm not going to get on board with that because, I mean, let's start from square one here. It, we all thought it was going to be Craig Council. It just felt like it made too much sense. And uh, once this started coming down the pipeline that, 
you know, he's chosen his team, you know, the Mets and Brewers, definitely finalists. And then we hear a little bit later that uh, he's going to the Cubs. So I think as soon as the Mets kind of recognized that, you know, they were just kind of a leverage piece in this whole thing, uh, they went with their second option. And I, I, I get it. It's just kind of the, the Met reaction to be upset or who is this guy or, but I, I just think at the end of the day, if you trust David Stearns, then let's just let's just see how this plays out. Because I I feel like we're all just changing our thinking on on manager here, um, just because you know it's a reason to be upset. Now you know I, I like I said I don't think the manager is entirely useless or anything like that. I think Buck Showalter's first year, I think you know he definitely played a part in you know changing the culture and things like that. I think I think it was important voice to have around. So I don't think managers are nothing in sort of the new age or analytic world and you know the Mets we hear all the time haven't really even embraced analytics all that much anyway. But I just think if you're just going to bash the hire because it's not a name you know because let's be honest that that's kind of what it is. That's what's going on here. I just think it's lazy. You know, I think we got our baseball ops guy. It's that's something you haven't had since Steve Cohen's been here. And now you have one. So I, I think, you know, manager be damned. I, I just I, I'm not going to be the Mets fan that just, you know, puts my head in the corner today and says, oh, this is another bad day for the Mets. I think it's lazy. Well, you're right. And I think uh, Francisco Lindor's uh, daughter would agree with you in terms of the, the culture shift there. Um, but, you know, the. I think there's definitely something too, though, and I, I said this kind of as a bigger Met topic than than just the manager. But you know, Craig Council goes to the Cubs and they give him the most lucrative uh, manager contract. Was it uh, forty million over four years, or what was it? Something ridiculous like that. Yeah, he makes eight million a year, which is uh, double the then highest four million dollars a year salary for a manager. And 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 it's like you know. If you're a Met fan, Uncle Steve, it, it, he might not have actually gotten outbid, but it's kind of not a good look that that has happening. That happened to again with everything considered, with everyone kind of setting Craig Council as the Met manager to see him go to a, a the Chicago Cubs, you know, very successful organization relatively, or you know, in baseball terms. But to see that happen is it kind of puts a bad taste in your mouth. Do you agree? Yeah, sort of, I guess. But I do think there is something to just, you know, maybe he just didn't want to come here. Yeah, but but and how I, do you how do you fix that? The big the bigger topic there is okay. So did he just use the Mets? And is this going to be a thing that we see? You know, what happens in free agency when when yeah, is I Shohei, think we're already seeing it. Is Shohei Otani going to use the Mets and say, yeah, you know, I'd like to play for the Mets and rack up his price and get another $100 uh, you know million? What? Actually, I, if the Mets are interested, then he definitely will. It's not, I don't even think it's a question. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we, I said this months ago, and I brought this up in our chat when, once the council uh, hiring was, was announced, that I think people are – other owners are going to be mad at Steve Cohen not for buying championships, but more so for making them pay more for championships. Yeah, no, 100%. you know, and it's it just a leverage piece. And you know, they you can think what you want about Steve Cohen, and again, he he, it's not, I'm not saying he doesn't spend the money or didn't spend the money. Again, he he brought in Justin Verlander, uh, Max Scherzer. I mean, he he spent the money for sure. But I think there's there's a big theme around baseball now. You you watch the Diamondbacks and the and the Rangers. It's a, it's not a matter of how much, but where and who you spend it on. But why why has that you know drastic change uh, occurred in baseball? You know, so like just if you really look at the the entire scope of how teams used to win, you know, a la the Yankees, things like that. Why does it now feel like in the new age? Well, no, that's not the way you win, and because you know, I, I feel like the the answer would be oh, analytics, but I don't really know how that plays in. I, I really don't have an answer for you. I think that just maybe the 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 scape uh, uh, the scope of the league and and just like how how teams are run now with you know you you see the the guys like the, the teams like the the Rays who and I even say that, argue the Diamondbacks are, are kind of like them as well that you know they they're just being the the wise guys in the room and they're saying you know go you guys go throw all your money around we'll we'll figure out other ways and I think that 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 kind of is is beneficial and that's kind of the argument for analytics and i think that 
all of these analytics. And, and I think a lot of Met fans would even, or a lot of, a lot of baseball fans would agree that Mendoza is a very big analytical guy. I think that the, that's kind of the new wave versus, you know, signing any of these big ticket items, unless again, unless it's like a, a, a can't miss guy like Otani, you know, I think yeah, that there's, yeah. there's definitely some cases where that, that still is going to work, but for the most part, the, 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 the best answer and the most ideal way to run a team is probably somewhere in between spending money and figuring it out without spending money. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, again, I just, I think this is a, an extremely impressionable fan base. And I really think, I mean, if we see him just maybe, you know, knock out his introductory presser or something like that. I mean, I, I could see everyone changing their tune, you know, in a heartbeat um, in terms of the larger issue and how the Mets are going to be used and, and such, you know, moving forward. Um, I mean, you're right. It's something that's going to happen. And a lot of times it's going to be a bad look. Um, I think in this case though, where the Mets kind of, you know, the second that they recognized it, they got out and uh, you know, went with a guy that you'd have to assume they also really liked um, you know, I, I hope so on the Mets here. And I just think the fans need to chill out for a minute. Chill out. Yeah. And, and realistically, like if you take a step back from it, whether it's Buck, Council or Mendoza, the, the difference between, you know, what a manager does, in my opinion, is, is very incremental. It's, it's not it's not like, you know, 1990 baseball where, you, you know, the best manager on the best team is 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 the best. Right. It's you, you always have guys every year that, you know, no one would have would have uh, said that, you know, the Rangers and the Diamondbacks have the best managers in baseball going into the season. But here we are in the World Series. Yep. So I, I think it's very incremental. Um, uh, let's let's shift over to the Yankees a little bit because Hal Steinbrenner spoke this morning. Yeah, you're gonna have to walk me through uh, Hal Steinbrenner here because I, I did not hear this. Yeah. So so he just had a little little talk with the media this morning. Uh, some some interesting little tidbits. Some uh, you know nothing nothing really glaringly shocking. Nothing you know the Yankees always have those very strange random press conferences that you know oh Judge is going to be out for the year and just like kind of bombshell press conferences. That wasn't this. Um, this was more uh, kind of just setting the groundwork for, you know, their their thoughts going into the offseason and the winter meetings and such. Um, uh, this is all from Chris Kirshner, Chris Kirshner of The Athletic, who covers the Yankees. Um, he said, Hal Steinbrenner said one of his first questions he was asked this offseason was, would Aaron Boone come back as manager? And he asked multiple pe- people um, and said that he would return as the Yankees manager. So that, w- that was kind of a, you know, uh, something that was maybe in some question for the Yankees, some Yankee fans. And I think it's kind of reinforcing our idea that they're fully behind Aaron Boone on this and they don't see Aaron Boone as a problem whatsoever. Uh, and, and it's more so just the fans crying when, when they call for his job. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with that. So, I think, yeah, I think uh, that was already a fait accompli that uh, he was the manager, at least in our minds. Yeah. He, he's, they, they said, you know, among other things, they also said that uh, the biggest problem this, this season was the run production um, and, and the more interesting. And I think a lot of people, a lot of Yankee fans, a lot of people we know probably would, would like this take. But he, he did make it a point to kind of single out the fact that the Yankees do believe that, you know, given given the, the new stolen base rules and given the new pickoff rules and whatnot, that bunting and, and bunting to increase run production is going to be a thing that, both Aaron Boone believes in and does believe that the Yankees can and will do going forward, which is definitely a shift in, in their philosophy from previous years, for sure. Yes. That's, that's the best part about that. So like, I think if you just read that for what it's worth and you know, you say, Oh, they're going to bunt more great then fine. But I think you read into that and you think, well, what, what comes with bunting, you know, like teams that had success this year, whether it's the Diamondbacks, you know, does that mean that the Yankees are going to look to steal more bases? Cause I think that that's going to become a necessity in major league baseball. So, you know, when they say they're going to bunt more, um, I, I hope that doesn't just mean, yeah, we'll let Rizzo square up every now and then. I hope that truly is a philosophy shift and, you know, not in the biggest way. I'm not saying go back to small ball, but you know, I mean, the way that the game is being played right now at the highest level is, there's a lot of speed around the base pass and things like that and, and ways to move guys over uh, bunting, obviously one of them. So just as a scope of a philosophy change, I, I, that's something that I like to hear. Yeah. And I think honestly, you know, they, they, the Yankees probably looked at, again, like I said, like a team like the Diamondbacks and there was, 
you know, watching the World Series and just the playoffs overall, I felt like there was a lot of base running movement and there's a lot of stolen bases. And for for one of the the NLCS games for Game Seven, the the Diamondbacks attacked the Phillies by stealing with their speed. And I think yeah. that that's going to be a philosophy that the Yankees probably look at. And again, they they look at a guy like a like a Dominguez or a Volpe or even you know when fully healthy Aaron Judge will steal you a couple of bases. And I think they're going to look at that and say, you know, let's if they're going to if they're going to walk Judge, let's have him steal second, and then we'll have our seven hitter bunt him over. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And so I think that uh, they're definitely going to be focused on run production, yeah, especially uh, just with, with the rule changes. I mean, if you even have a threat on the base paths, I mean, you have an advantage. Yeah, it, it, definitely for sure. And I think that the Yankees, I'll, I'll, I'll say this: the Yankees this year definitely did make it a point to steal with the guys that definitely do steal. And I like that. And I thought that, that when the Yankees were best in, you know, the very, very beginning of the season, if you can remember, they were, everyone was stealing. Judge was healthy. He was stealing. Glaber had some stolen bases. Even Rizzo, I remember very, very early on in the season, we would get angry for at Rizzo because we thought he was too aggressive on the base pads. And I even recall, you know, getting mad at him for getting picked off in very questionable scenarios where, I'm, you know, sometimes I'm okay with it. Obviously, there's times where it's, you know, it kind of, kind of head scratching. But you know, if you're going to be aggressive on the base paths, especially like you said with the new rules, you'll find yourselves in in positive scenarios a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, other than that, for for Hal Steinbrenner, not, nothing really too big. Um, he still said that you know all those uh, meetings per se with uh, outside sources, I guess, or outside companies to assess their analytics and their, the way they do business, uh, their sports business is still underway. So nothing conclusive out of that. Um, didn't really say that much about, you know, free agency, although he did mention, and I saw a couple uh, Yankee news outlets say that uh, he said, we are going to be active. So I'm, you know, I, I kind of take him, take him at his word for that. You know, we, you mentioned them, them running it back. Uh, they, they mentioned Frankie Montas will, be an option to to come back with the team and be a uh, rotation piece. They definitely believe in him. Um, wouldn't mind him as a fourth, fifth starter. I think they're definitely going to be in the market for a starter, definitely be in the market for a bat. Uh, the, the scope and size of that bat, uh, definitely up for debate. Um, there, I did see, too, that they had some mutual interest between um, themselves and Kevin Kiermeyer as a, uh, I guess, a center field fielding option slash uh, Jason Dominguez fill in for the first couple months of the season as Dominguez recovers from a torn UCL. Um, but look, I think, I think if you're a Yankee fan, you kind of, I, I, I think the Yankees are in a fine place. They, they really are. I think they, this season, you know, being as unsuccessful as it was is going to pay dividends going forward. Uh, and I think that my, from what I take from all this off season stuff and from what I take from, you know, the, just the tone and how Steinbrenner's voice is, they were really upset with the way last season ended. And I think that when you give a guy like Aaron Judge, arguably the best player in baseball, the biggest contract in baseball, to to miss out on a, even a single season of that is is just burning money. And I think that if you're an owner of a team, that, that's, that cannot sit right. There's no way that sits right with anyone in this front office. And I think that that'll be shown here in the offseason. So if I had to guess, I think the Yankees do stick to their word and are very active this offseason. Yeah, I think this this was a good thing for the Yankees. I think if this was another year where you got into the playoffs and maybe you got knocked out in the DS or the CS, I think you would have just been, you know, delaying the inevitable that there was going to be some sort of, you know, seismic change that had to take place. So, and, and here we are kind of getting through it now. Yeah, and 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 definitely, definitely, we're we'll we'll have that covered. You know, as as it gets through the thick of it and the winter meetings and whatnot, that's always a it's always a fun time. A lot, a lot less stressful for Yankee fans this year because last year again, Aaron Judge was the big ticket item there. Um, but you know, again, not not having to worry about anything like that. The the forefront of Yankee worries will most likely be what happens with Juan Soto and Shohei Otani. Um, although I can't I can't really foresee them paying up for a guy like Otani. Although again, I think they will definitely have the conversations, but I think that the, the price tag and just the, 
the the, the whole Otani sweepstakes is going to probably land somewhere on the West Coast. The, you know, if you read through the tea leaves and whatnot. So yeah, Otani to New York is just it's it's a pipe dream of pipe dreams. Yeah, yeah, to either team for that. Yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Any any other thoughts on on the baseball? I definitely want to hit on the the Knicks and the uh, and definitely the Nets too. Any anything else? No, I'm I'm all good on baseball. It's a ways away, but uh, that was a that was a really nice win for the Knicks against the uh, the new look Clippers there um, with uh, James Harden in the building. Uh, before we get into the Knicks, I just want to ask you about the Clippers in general. Um, it doesn't it just kind of feel like they're doing exactly what every team has proved that you're not supposed to do anymore. And not only that, they're kind of doing it with, with the guys who kind of made the blueprint for like this isn't how you build a team. You know the James Hardens and the the Russell Westbrooks. Yeah, you're right, and I'm I I was quoted in verbatim saying as soon as I woke up and saw the James Harden trade news, their season's over because yeah, that, yeah. the you know everyone. All the media outlets are going to gas up, you know, oh, my God, Westbrook, Harden, Paul George, Kawhi, this team's so good. Harden, Harden a, will give you a nice half year, though, where he's all in. He'll give you half a season. See, honestly, though, like, I think that with, as far as the Clippers are concerned and, and maybe just, uh, you know, this is just more of so a, a basketball, like, philosophy, I guess you could say. The – the the Clippers are are almost like too deep. They're they're knee deep in the shit. You know what I mean? Like they're they have the they have the the bad contracts. They have the stars, and it's like, you know, what are they gonna do? Trade a star and get younger guys that that might be good, or you can get a guy like a James Harden who, you know, you get him in, and you kind of have your built in excuse of well, what did you want us to do? Not bring in James Harden. Yeah, yeah. They kind of they looked at exactly like what, how the Nets handled their situation and even the Lakers. And after they both didn't work out, they're like, yeah, let's do both of those things. Let's do yeah. all that. Yeah, they're 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 rough for sure. Um, it's it, I, I'm kind of very, very skeptical yeah. on them. Like I mentioned, uh, yeah. the Knicks about a good them. game for the Knicks. And I mean, RJ yeah. Barrett, he, he's been your best player so far. I mean, do, does it do we think that maybe he's finally taking, you know, maybe that next step? Uh, I'm hoping that he's upping his trade bait, as brutal as that sounds. That that is pretty brutal. Yeah, I, I, you know, and, and not for nothing. Like, I I like RJ. I root for him. He can stay on the team all he wants, but I I think you know the 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 true, uh, I guess peak that this Knicks team can be is, is getting the the guy that can play, you know, that can really be a superstar in this team. And RJ Barrett is a great player. He'll average you know twenty a year for the next six seven years eight years hopefully but but that you know what's that going to get you obviously Julius Randle's not the guy although against the Clippers he had his best game of the season for sure yeah, he did and his presence has always felt you know he, he's getting his rebounds and things like that but I mean like he's just not getting shots to fall I mean he, you know nine to 21 last night it, it might be his, his best percentage of the season so far yeah very much so and he it's it's kind of like one thing to say like you know, he, he's not good because Julius Randle is a good basketball player. But well, what is know, it? What is it then? Is he coming off of something that like, is there something holding him back? So in, in a very different way than James Harden, they're very alike in the sense that, you know, James Harden can go to the Rockets and he'll put up, you know, 25 points and, t and 10 assists and they'll they'll win 30 games. Right. I think Julius Randle falls in that category, too, where if you throw Julius Randle on, you know, uh, the the let's just say the, I don't know, what's a team that, that is kind of like, you know, in the middle of nowhere, you know, they, that you, you throw him on the Detroit Pistons, let's say with, with a bunch of guys, a bunch of young guys around him and Julius Randle could be the centerpiece. A team like that will win you 30 games. You know what I mean? Like Julius Randle is a good guy to win you 30 games, yeah. but you know, to get to that, you know, 40, 50 true playoff contender range, that's not him. And I feel like him and James Harden are very, very similar in, in the way they play. It's, a lot of a lot of more so like I don't even want to say hero ball, but like just just not they they play the game in a in a way that is not conducive to a team game. And in well, order to read, I mean, you could also and I, again, I know this is kind of like a nightly thing for Randall now, but you could also point at Brunson and just say, I mean, he had a rough night. I mean, who who else was going to kind of run the floor and find a way to score points? Yeah, but I think so. So my my theory on that is. Jalen Brunson, obviously, everyone's going to have rough nights. That's for sure. But I think, but I think the 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 machine that gets this going is Jalen Brunson, 
And I think that, you know, when Jalen Brunson has a bad night and Julius Randle has a good night, I don't think it's a coincidence. Like Julius Randle could be on and Jalen Brunson has a bad night. But, and you know, again, that's just, I just chalked it up to being one of those games that Julius Randle's play style will win you. But, you know, he'll, he'll go lose three games because of it. You know, the Knicks, the Knicks find themselves right now at three and four, I'd say two of those wins are because of uh, a good Jalen Brunson performance. And, and four of those losses are for a bad Julius Randle performance. Yep. You know, so it's like, yeah, he won you one game, but uh, it just, uh, me, I, I like, I like the consistency more. And, and I think that, you know, getting back to the, the RJ Barrett uh, uh, conversation and I'm just waiting for the next superstar to fall really, uh, whether that be a Carl Towns, uh, a um, Joel Embiid, which is the, the seems like to be the Knicks dream now. Um, and again, don't, I don't want people to forget. I was on here with Brandon saying that my my team to blow up this year was the 76 or so and i still believe that uh one one piece has already fallen in, in james harden obviously much different story with joel Embiid, but just wanted to to reiterate my my thought process there um we, we talk a lot about the knicks and you know obviously season's still very young i definitely want to give some love to the nets for sure they're a gritty team that they they find themselves with you know, they play a really tough game against the the Bucks. They lose by four points at home. Bucks are probably the, the caliber of the East. Um, they play a tough game against the Celtics. And, you know, I feel like the Nets are going to be one of these teams that just – they're going to hang every single night. And they have a lot of young guys who are hungry. Um, Cam Thomas looks like an absolute stud. He's averaging 28.7 points a game. Yeah. Mikael Bridges averaging – against Milwaukee. Yeah, and you, you watch him and – you know, I don't I don't think the Nets sort of, you know, make any sort of cr- any noise per se in terms of, you know, the East and just the NBA overall. But I think they're a team that you're going to that teams are going to find in their schedule and they're going to be like, oh, we got to play the Nets tonight. Like we're, we're going to be in a dogfight tonight. And I like that about the Nets. And I think that they're, you know, Ben Simmons, even, you know, again, he's not going to be what what everyone might have thought he was at one point. But even Ben Simmons has served to be you know, a very good distributor and a very good uh, piece for this, this young team that seems to be just all, a bunch of dogs on this team. Real, realistically, like we said, Cam Thomas, Mikhail Bridges, uh, Cameron Johnson, they, they just have a bunch of guys that are, they'll, they'll win you a couple of games here and there. And I think that the Nets, the Nets being, uh, you know, three and four is kind of a testament to that. And I wouldn't be stunned if they're just like a 500 team the entire year. Yeah, they they rebounded about as well as you can from everything that went on in Brooklyn in terms of, you know, the pieces they got back and and how they mesh and things like that. I mean, they're already, once again, just like they were, you know, right before the Harden, KD, and Kyrie of it all, they're they're kind of, you know, a fun team again. Yeah, it definitely, and definitely are. back. So it's kind of like it's kind of like the same uh, same idea, same group. So the the two local teams actually flip-flop, um, not flip-flop, excuse me, but the the Clippers flip-flop and they will play the Nets. Uh, tomorrow night, the entire NBA is off today for Election Day. I, you know, you can, I'm a fan of that. Not don't want to get political, but I think it's, I think it should be a a, a countrywide thing to just suspend sports for one day. Who's going to hurt, really? Like, yeah. Does the does I get? I guess I get the NHL not doing it because a lot of it is Canadian based, I guess, and you know that's one thing. But I kind of like the idea of it doing it in the NBA. Um, the 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 next fun thing that I will definitely be locked into. Wemby versus the Knicks tomorrow night. Um, I I really want to go, but tickets are very 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 expensive. Really? I think it Where was like start? I think it was like one eighty to get in the door yeah. and and have your nose bleed the entire night. But yeah. uh, but you know I, I am that that's gonna if you if you do somehow if someone does listen to this ends up going, please let me know how it is because that's Wemby's debut in Madison square garden is, is box office to, yeah. to, for lack of a better term. Yep. Yeah. So uh, very excited there. I, I, it's I, kind I, of surprising how good he's been already too. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how they go and, and how, I guess how they play in the, the in-season tournament, uh, all that going on and whatnot. But um, anything else you want to add to, to anything we spoke about before we get out of here? No, I think I'm good. I want to give a shout out to my fantasy team, Team McFlee, uh, bouncing back from what was it like a like a twenty percent chance to make the playoffs. Now we're a little over fifty percent. Just a, uh, you know, I, I might win Manager of the Year if I can lose Justin Jefferson and get myself back into the conversation. So, 
<laughs> get yourself back in the conversation. That's a, that's a, been the theme of, of your fantasy season for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. En- enough, uh, enough, mi- honestly, a lot of misery today. Uh, so I think, I think we're done with that. Let's we're moving on. Uh, I, I can't even say that we can look forward to the, the two locals in action, but if you want to look forward to anything, let's look forward to our preview pod. Our picks have been, my picks have, I've been steamrolling back, uh, into the, the pick conversation, um, with another, another sweep of a week. And, uh, we, we've got ourselves a competition on the pick front. So, uh, if anything, we can look forward to that. So, um, thank you all for listening. Follow us on all of our socials. And, and you know, again, we're, we're here with you for, for all this, the, the local football misery. So come, you can come to us for some, some therapy if you need. So thank you all for listening and uh, peace out.